Welcome to Fresh Press for May 19th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and... I meant to look up if there was a word that meant of or relating to swords. Swordle? Swordle can't be it. Sword... Swordic? Swordic? Uh, Swordian? Swordish? I was hoping it would be more like... It would be like Latin or something. It would be like spathic. Is that a word? Uh, Let's look that up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Nope. What's the word for sword in French? I think it's just épée. Oh, uh-huh. Or at least that's the only kind of sword they teach you about in French class, because fencing is the only kind of French sword-ing. That's definitely not true. I'm fairly sure France conquered England with swords. Yeah, but they were all épées. Did you I mean swooshing? New tunes and swooshing grooves. I kind of like swashbuckling. Mm, that's, I'm saving that for the pirate episode. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. You won't. If we have a pirate episode, there's no way you'll remember swashbuckling, but that's okay. I mean, I don't remember that I have to do this until I get to that part of the intro, so I'm never going to prepare. But it's better that way. It is now a bit, as our audience is well familiar with, um, do you want to, we should talk about swords, mostly because I think you really think swords are cool. Like the nerd that I am? Yes. Right. Do you have a favorite species of sword? Uh, no, I'm not that much of a nerd. Come on. No, I really don't. I don't know that. I don't know that much about swords. Do you have a favorite sword? Like mythical or real sword? No, like I really, I don't, I don't know that much about swords. I am definitely a nerd. And I definitely enjoy, like, Dungeons and Dragons and high fantasy type shit. But I don't know any of the, like, technical stuff like that. What about, like, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? Now, that's an interesting thing to bring up because I was not sure if lightsabers were going to be included in this. Not that I found a lightsaber song that I wanted to talk about. But, like, I'm not sure that that really fits with this whole vibe. Hey, I've I've picked my favorite imaginary sword. Okay, what is it? It is the Green Destiny sword from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There you go. See, I knew you had a great nerd sword to pick, even though that is probably one of the less nerdy sword films. Yeah, it really is. Andrew, what sword song did you bring? I have picked a song entitled He's My Rock, My Sword, My Shield by Fanny Bell Chapman. So in looking for a sword song, I encountered a good amount of, similar to like our video game thing, I got a lot of metal and a lot of bad rap that mentioned like specific kinds of swords. Like anytime you mix the medieval era and especially German, you get a lot of metal. So like I searched Zweihander and I got a lot of metal. 
you searched a German word. A German sword type. I haven't listened to a lot of German music, like music from Germany, but I think modern German music broadly falls into metal, weird German rap, and electronic music. Yeah, probably. None of which you're particularly a huge fan of. No, that's true. But anyway, I was able to find something by taking a different tack and looking for songs where the sword was more metaphorical and related to Jesus. And so that's how I came across this gospel tune, uh, My Rock, My Sword, My Shield. And um, I listened to a couple different versions. I really enjoyed this version by Fanny Bell Chapman, who I know next to nothing about. Um, first, a question, perhaps. When Jesus was Jesus, like when he was Jesusing around? When Jesus was Jesus... Listen, I don't understand the whole concept of substantiation, transubstantiation thing. That's not what that is. So you clearly don't understand it at all. No, it has something to do with bread. Um, Were there really swords? What? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, sort of, though, right? Not really. What the fuck do you mean? I mean, nobody... Uh, swords are, like, developed in the way we think of swords, more in, like, the late portion of the first millennium after you know like 900 years later pretty much i don't think that's true i actually did some sword research on wikipedia and yeah you don't see really cross guards for instance don't get developed until like well until the 12th century i believe i don't well but i don't think that's right gabe uh the spatha developed by the late roman army let's look at the sentence before that on wikipedia gabe uh historically the sword developed in the bronze age I don't think that the typical warrior in Zero was using a sword. What you're saying is there were no swords when Jesus was Jesus, which is complete nonsense. I'm just saying Jesus was never wielding a sword. Jesus, not a big sword guy, you might be surprised to learn. Not a big stabbing people kind of dude. Huh. Did get stabbed, but by a spear. Did he? Yeah. Gabe, don't you know anything about really? Jesus? No. I just thought his hands got nailed and his feet. Well, that happened first. But then he... And then they stabbed well, him? That seems so it unnecessary. It wasn't part of the whole thing. It was like a, another guy like rolling along as a soldier being like, ah, fuck this dude and stab him with a, with a spear. Oh, God. Haven't you ever seen like a, an image of like Jesus on the cross with a big like bleeding wound on his side? Yes. That was from a spear. Oh. I mean, look, they don't explain where it comes from. I mean, I mean, do. they do, obviously, but I haven't read any of the parts. Listen, you'll notice that Andrew is the person on this podcast who brings all of the Jesus songs. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, that entire nonsense aside, the song is uh, He's My Rock, My Sword, My Shield, which is it's a pretty straightforward kind of gospel tune where Jesus is all these great things, and I'm excited for Jesus. And that's the general vibe of it. I love how the song is put together, and especially this version of the song. I, heard, I listened to a bunch of other versions of the song, and this is just the one with the most life and genuine spirit to it, I think. It sounds like it was recorded during a church service. The way that the, like, the backing harmonies are set up and the way that they're mixed makes it sound so live, right? There's even, like, that one guy, like, yelling along, like, way... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a live recording. 
I don't know anything about this recording really, but it is. I could imagine doubt. myself sitting in the pews of a church and there's like three people up there singing and a small backing band. And then like, there's just the rando who's like singing along. Yeah. Cause why not? And then there's Jesus on the cross with a big hole in his side. It's so morbid. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of the whole, it's kind of the crux of the religion. Anyway, this song is just so good. It makes me want to like be that rando in the background who's singing along and clapping along. Uh, like I said, I don't know anything about Fanny Bell Chapman and I'm struggling to find anything. I found a documentary about her that is both about her as a gospel singer and also her as a folk healer. So that's cool. I did find another version of this with the artist is described as Fanny Bell Chapman and family. Um, and there's like a little intro. It's clearly a live recording of that too. And there's like, ah, this is my mother's arrangement. We hope everyone enjoyed that beautiful number coming from my mother in her own arrangement. So I imagine that this is the original and this is her arrangement before her children got all in there and fucked it up. But yeah, I just love how lively this is. I don't know. I mean, we touched on this when we talked about Big Mama Thornton in the dog episode. Right. The history of black women in rock and roll is like so incredibly important and gets glossed over all the time. And I mean, like this is a gospel song, right? Like in that it is a, it is a, it's a gospel tune. Like it's, that's what it is. The song is, but like, this is rock and roll is like really what it is. If I were to hear it for the first time and just pick a genre, you know? Sure. I mean, some of the differentiation between the more rollicking gospel and rock and roll is just the lyrical content along those lines do you know when this was recorded the record that this came off of which i think is titled god's mighty hand is like a compilation that was released last year but but obviously the song was recorded decades ago (laughs) yes it was not released last year i'm not sure exactly when it was recorded this documentary about her is from 1975 i would imagine sometime Around then or before then is when this was recorded. I would think from hearing it, I would say in the 60s or before. Yeah. <laughs> but she also doesn't sound like that young. She's got a good amount of texture to her voice. Do you have the, the years of her life? You know, I did find her gravestone. She was born in the year 1900 and died in 96. I don't have like a ton to go into like analyzing this, this track, really. Um, because I think, I mean, it speaks for itself. It's just a really fucking great song and it gets me pumped about Jesus and life. And I'm excited to use a sword to stab all of the heathens. That's not what it's about. It's, he's my rock, my sword, my shield. He's like my strength and my, and my protection. That's what what you're saying. Yes. He's my wheel in the middle of the field. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. Gonna wait right here for Jesus. I do love the best part, that little uh, refrain that I'm gonna wait. I just love the easy, but also very clever rhythm of the way that that she and the the background singers sing wait. I'm gonna wait, 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 wait. Like she hits wait on the beat and the background singers hit wait right before the next beat because it's like, there's like a, I don't know if this is intentional, but there's like a subtext of like, I'm waiting, but also I'm very impatient. 
No, wait, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> Get back here, Jesus. Gabe, what song are you stabbing into my heart today? Angrily. Um, this is My Sword Hands Anger by Apostle of Hustle off their 2007 record, National Anthem of Nowhere. One day, Angel told me time he was fading behind him. Back up, pissed up. Here comes a pain in his I want to say that when uh, you sent me a song by uh, an artist called Apostle of Hustle. Yeah. I, having also looked for sword songs using the Spotify search function, I first saw the word apostle and was like, oh, this is a metal song. And then I saw the word hustle and was like, oh, it's a rap song. And then I listened to it and was like, oh, this is a very indie rock song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know anything about the origins of the name. I just think that the creator of the group, Andrew Whitehead, probably likes the STLE. That's my guess. And he was like, well, we've got this word, apostle, and we've got hustle, and I can't think of any more, so we'll just jam them together. Which is, when you think about it, a very indie way of producing a band name. It really is. So, right, this is Andrew Whitehead, accompanied by Julian Brown and Dean Stone, the three of whom are members of the Canadian collective Broken Social Scene. Oh. Yes. Broken Social Scene for our listeners who aren't familiar, is just, I think collective is the best way to describe them. They'll have like 15 to 20 different musicians from usually the Toronto area contribute on any given record. Their live shows when they tour, there's like a ton of people on stage, many vocalists and many guitarists. And Andrew Whitehead was one of the guitarists for, well, I think he's been there for all of their records. So he's kind of one of the core members. Uh, But he's also had a couple other groups that, tap into the Toronto music scene as so many indie musicians are wont to do. His first group before he joined Broken Social Scene was called the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir. So there's a band name for you, I guess. Yeah, that to me also sounds like, hey, I like the word bourbon and I love the word tabernacle. Right. I mean, kind of like you. That's true. I do love bourbon and tabernacles. (laughs) But this couldn't have been you because it was started, I think, before your birth. Fair. Now, Andrew is an apostle. So, I mean, that is something. Oh, that is something. I didn't know that. I had no idea who Andrew was in the Bible. As as we've seen in this episode, does Gabe know anything about the Bible? I don't even know who the apostles were. What what are apostles? The apostles are like the are all of Jesus's friends. Yeah, but weren't there some people who were like but then there's like the gospeliers gospelers i have no fucking clue what you're talking about are those, were Where they are the apostles gospeliers? like the people who wrote the gospel is this some matthew mark Luke. i don't think they're called the gospeliers the good band name though no bad band name that sounds like a the gospeliers is like i can't remember what veggie tales is called <laughs> the word you were looking for by the way is evangelist <laughs> ah well, that has other connotations in this day Right, but the four evangelists are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John! By the way, they're, they're all apostles. 
But there are more apostles also. Yes. There's 12 apostles. Oh, were they the ones at the last supper? Yes, Jesus' friends. Oh, got it. Okay, so the story of the creation of this group goes something like Andrew Whitehead has a godmother who is Cuban, and so in the early 2000s, he went and spent like a summer in Cuba with his godmother's family. And during that time, was influenced a lot by the Cuban music scene and learned how to play the tres, which is uh, a Cuban guitar. The tres is made up of three courses. Each course contains two strings. You play them together. They are not necessarily, and they're usually not tuned to the same pitch. But they're paired. If you're familiar at all with Cuban music, you're familiar with the instrument, even if you don't know what it's called. It's extremely common. It doesn't appear on this particular song. Okay, I was going to ask because, I mean, it doesn't... I love the guitar sound in here, but it sounds to me like a guitar. Yeah, it's just a guitar. And Andrew Whitehead is a guitarist in the more traditional sense. But on other songs, on mostly on the previous record before this one, but also on this record, there is some trace being played. This is the second of three records that the group ended up putting out. This one was from 2007. Uh, they stopped, I think they recorded their last one in 2009. He is still active in the Toronto music scene, but I think just really as a part of Broken Social Scene, and he does some stuff with his wife. Um, his name's Andrew Whiteman. Wow, is it really? Yeah. Did I totally fuck that up? How yeah, you're I... thinking of Colson Whitehead. Huh. Why did I type Whitehead in my notes? That's why you don't take notes, Gabe. Yeah, damn. Sorry, sorry, y'all. His name is Andrew Whiteman. Uh, the other two members of the band are still Julian Brown and Dean Stone, though. What a collection of names. Last names. White Man, Brown, Stone. White Man, Brown, Stone. It's a story of New York. <laughs> this song is, I would say, classic late 2000s indie rock. But I think it's really good. Um, it was the lead single off the album, which I was introduced to many years ago because of the second song, which is um, the title track off the record. I just really like the way it feels, like sort of laid back with that guitar lick at the beginning and the way the percussion kind of folds itself into the song. And it's got that great heavy distortion bass. You know, this song, this song in particular, not, not everything that the group does, but this song in particular really reminds me of The Shins. I don't know if you get that at all, Andrew. As a Shins aficionado. We, we call ourselves aficionados, which is really difficult to say, but that is what we say in the, in the fandom. Um, uh, I don't know that I totally get that, but I did, like, I mean, the Shins, I think, have a very archetypal indie rock sound. And this also feels like very much like that, that era of indie rock. It's like, it's like so, so strongly in there. Yes. My favorite part to this song, though, is there's this lick. That the bass and two guitars all play essentially in unison. I think the bass is an octave down, but it's the exact same thing across three completely different timbres of instrument. And it's really fun, and it's, like, groovy and energizing. 
Now, as for the sword relation to the song, Andrew, I, eh, I don't really understand the lyrics. Now, the, lyri- the title of the song is also the reason why I saw the word apostle. was like, oh, this is a metal song. Because it has the word anger in the title and sword and is by a band that has apostle in the name. That's like the three ingredients to a metal song. And I guess, you know, like the guitars and the and the vocals or whatever. The drums. The bass. Sure, right. The entire musical style. Yeah, I totally understand why you thought it was a metal song. It's not. Like, I know we've been trying not to genre box so much, but this is definitely not metal. No. So what is the song about? I, I think it has something to do with, like, letting go of your anger and the way you approach conflict. Hmm. Kind of the main line in the song is looking for a new technique. They never believe I'd throw my weapons down. Well, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But there's a lot going on. I don't know that I fully understand it. He does reference Carlos Gardel. The line is, hey, Carlos Gardel, you've been drinking Florida water. Which, I don't know what that means. I mean, there's something Cuban happening here, but I don't know what exactly. That's all I can get out of it without knowing any context. Yeah, but Carlos Gardel is not Cuban. He's Argentine. Interesting. And he was like one of the kings of tango, which is not a Cuban dance form. So it could just be racism, I suppose. We could could chalk it up to racism. (sighs) But I do think that, I do think that Andrew Whiteman was aware of yeah, it sounds to me more like a, a an informed joke that you're I don't know, like you're it's a burn on someone who thinks they're Carlos Gardella, but like you're you're drinking Florida water, dude. That's a great phrase and I don't know if it means anything uh outside of the song, but it's one I'm going to start using. It is a great phrase. I've been hanging out with some people who all live in Florida. And I like to tell them regularly how crazy it is that they live in Florida and that Florida isn't a real place. And so I think this is a more concise way of saying I that. think you're drinking Florida water is like a good, like, you're crazy, man. You're fucking drinking Florida water over here. <laughs> there was an absurd amount of good new music this week there really was like we're recording on saturday so i'm a little bit i'm a little bit upset that we only had like i only had like 36 hours to try and listen to music and i was sleeping for a good chunk of that time i think the cool thing is that both of us picked tracks from albums that i was not were not one of the many that i was anticipating absolutely i mean there were and we'll we'll hit this later but there were a bunch of albums from People that we know. Personally. And we knew previously, right? Friends of the pod. But I was not familiar with either artist previously. So with that said, Andrew, what's your new song? My new song is entitled B, B-E, by Morning a Black Star. So morning, as in as in not the time, but the verb, morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. God, the worst way to describe that. Not the time, but the uh, verb. I know. Uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, space, open square bracket, A, close square bracket, space. 
and then capital BLK, and then lowercase star. I'm glad that you have to go through yeah. this this week, Andrew, because the last two weeks you've made me do the difficult band name. <laughs> well, you brought the difficult band name, and this time I did, and I'm taking responsibility for it. So, Morning a Black Star. Speaking of artist collectives, Gabe, Morning a Black Star is, as they say, a multi-generational gender and genre non-conforming amalgam of black culture dedicated to servicing the stories and songs of the apocalyptic diaspora. Founded in Cleveland, Ohio. Damn. And that's great. That's a great one-line explanation of what your band is. I mean, that's a hell of a mission statement. Yeah. This is their fourth album called The Cycle. And uh, yeah, like I said, they are a collective of uh, musicians based in Cleveland who are really fucking incredible. Since listening to this album, and I mean, since yesterday when I listened to this album for the first time and was really amazed with it. I've been listening to all their stuff, and it's really great. I really recommend their, um, I believe it was the album right before this, called The Garner Poems, which is about Eric Garner and police murder in general. It's a very powerful album, and I uh, really enjoyed listening to it. This is definitely the most stripped-down track on this album. I liked a lot of the stuff from this album, but nothing really like hit me in the way that this did. It's really quite spare and focused on the vocals and then they add some more instrumentals and then strip them back down again at the end um, which is really pleasant i think i was about halfway through listening to this album for the first time when you were like i'm gonna pick a song from it and i was like oh man this album's really good i hadn't found, i hadn't gotten to this particular song and i was like i gotta pick something off here this is pretty cool like the group has a cool i i like occasionally picking a band not just because the song because is the good, name of the group is hard to parse from an audio medium because the artist is interesting <laughs> um this song is gorgeous this song is gorgeous Andrew do you think this is the slowest song that's ever been on our show it's quite slow it, it certainly feels like the slowest to me I mean it's rare to make music that's so extreme on one end of the tempo spectrum, either very fast or very slow. And normally, I think, if you're plugged into kind of the music scene that we're plugged into, you see music tend towards faster rather than yeah, slow. Yeah, the speed metal kind of stuff that we listen to. I, look, I know. I think the indie scene is more tied to, like, hardcore and punk than it is tied to, I, like, this is dirge tempo. It's spectacular, but it's very slow. I don't know, man. I mean, I listen to a lot of slow music. That's fair. But yeah, it is de- definitely takes this incredibly, incredibly slow. And that's what makes it uh, really wonderful. And it takes the development of the song very slowly as well, not just the tempo. Yeah, the passion in the song builds gradually. And I love music yeah. like that. Where it's just like, and then you get some like big cathartic climax to mm. the song. There's so many like cathartic moments of this. And then it keeps going that I just, I just love. So the vocals trade back and forth between two different vocalists. There's three vocalists named on their website. So I don't know which two of them. I imagine Latoya Kent is the female vocals. I don't know if the male vocals is James Long's or Kyle Kidd. Probably the other one is also doing some background stuff when it gets bigger. But anyway, they're sort of trading off vocals. The first like, fuck yeah moment is like when they both sing something together. Yeah. 
And actually, I think the first real fuck yeah moment is the second time they both sing the word instead together. And then some like some percussion starts to come in. It's so good. I also am such a sucker for horns. Mm, yes, the horns are And great. particularly trombones. And they're just like a little bit growly and like they hit the spot. Yeah, although this is trumpet and trombone. Yes, it's both. But I meant especially the trombone. Yeah, and they're clearly very good musicians because they start like that. There's this little trumpet trombone duet where they start in unison and it... I mean, you can almost be like, I'm not sure which single brass instrument that is. And then they split at the end of the second uh, phrase there. And you really hear like the difference between the trumpet and trombone. And then they go back together and you hear the meld again. And then they're fully split for the fourth phrase. It's just so nice. Yeah, that takes incredible skill especially to be able to listen across like that. It's something that's very common in jazz music, like big band jazz, um, which this obviously draws from, um, although distantly. Yeah. Being able to make the entire horn section or the entire, like all the trumpets in a band sound as if they're one loud trumpet requires a really tuned, talented ear and a lot of work. And a lot of time spent together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the cool thing about having this, like, large collective that is has, like you said, a mission statement. It feels to me like a different chemistry than, like, a, a standard, like, rock band or something. It's almost like it's a club, you know? Like it's, like, it's a book club. But they get together and, like, write music with a purpose in mind. And, like, work together with a purpose in mind which is really powerful. There's some stuff about the creation of this album that I want to just mention briefly. They sort of put it together and recorded it in their practice space, which is, I think, a former bookstore in Cleveland. So they're like in this storefront practicing every week, which is kind of cool. They have this on their website. The band wrote the cycle together in that storefront. R.A. Washington, who is uh, one of the like main creative forces behind the band, brought in 12 song sketches with words that up until that point only Latoya Kent had seen. The rest of the band wrote their parts on the spot. It was an epic first practice that is at the heart of the cycle. Songs came together so fast that Morning of Black Star performed many of them for the first time just two days later at a showcase for the Panza Foundation, local arts advocacy. They say it's, it's their testimony to the time and space in which it was collectively created. It is a humble addition to the long legacy of James Baldwin's adage of the artist as witness. It is our song cycle in a time that just may need a song or two in support of and in love and power to the living. Gabe, what do you got? What do you got that's new? That's brand new. Hot off the presses. I've got this groovy dance track. Uh, This is Underneath by the band Public Practice off their debut record titled Gentle Grip. (laughs) 
So, Andrew, this is what we've previously characterized as a Gabe song. It sure is. Uh, I guess I just like dancier music than you do, but... Yeah, I hate dancing. I like dancing on my own. The Robin track, not the actual action. Well, I like dancing by myself to the Robin track, dancing on my own. Oh, fair enough, but who doesn't, really? Is that (laughs) such a hot take? No, it's not. So I'm going to get to the band, but I want to start actually with the label. The label who put out this album is called Wharf Cat. Nice. Who I am familiar with. But honestly, what a great name for a label. So good. Love a Wharf Cat. We talk a lot about great band names, great artist names, even good song names. We should spend some time talking about good label names. Yeah. Wharf Cat, great label name. Great. Would be a good label name for a pirate episode. Definitely. I'm a pirate and this here's my wharf cat. Okay, anyway, uh, public practice are comprised of four individuals. Sam York, who is the vocalist. Um, Vince McClelland, Drew Citron, and Scott Rosenthal. They are kind of a mashup of two previous New York bands uh, called Beverly and Wall that joined together to make public practice they claim that they're really trying to channel like 70s new york dance and disco and i will say that they're like their main spotify photo the press photo just yells like white 70s new york (laughs) like they really nailed it but it's a very specific like you're like ah yes disco 50 years ago but it's great. I think this album is wonderfully fun. The first track is called called Moon, and it's very post-punky in that it does not have as much of a dance feel as the rest of it does. But I like put this on, and I'm working from home right now, so I was working yesterday, and I can put it on speakers because there's nobody in my house, and I don't have to worry about bothering coworkers, which is wonderful. And I just turned the, it way up, and I was just like, bopping around my room dancing <laughs> to this music because it's so fun and so groovy um and i just kept coming back to this song which is i think particularly great and has such a good bass riff uh, underlying the whole track this does firmly fit into sort of my wheelhouse of like other new york dance groups liquid liquid for an older example one of my favorite bands through high school was lcd sound system whose influence is extremely apparent on this record public practice also uses like a wide variety of percussion and instrumentation it sounds like they very carefully select the sounds for each song it's not just like let's bang some things together or play some guitars it's like let's pick these very precise synth sounds to evoke a particular era and a particular style of music i mean andrew were you dancing i don't know i guess i guess we already established you only dance to one song but I mean, I'll dance to any Robin song and a good number of Carly Rae Jepsen songs. Yes. But no, I did not dance to this. But I could I could imagine a person who is more inclined to dancing than I dancing to this. The band has a wonderfully long description of their music and the record on their band camp, which is, uh, I think, a more and more common thing. Like Bands will just like, put down like five paragraphs about themselves at the bottom of their Bandcamp page. You're like, wow, that's actually very useful. You're making my research 
very easy because this is a brand new band and they haven't performed a lot. They haven't released a lot of music yet, but they talk a, a bit about some of the debt that they owe uh, a lot of funk that was kind of in the 60s and 70s as well, which is not, not something that like LCD Sound System, for instance, draws as much from, but Public Practice definitely does. Is Public Practice a band that I'm aware of? Or is it just a phrase that I'm aware of? It's not a band you're aware of. This is their first record. I mean, I guess you could have heard one of their other songs, like one of their singles off the record over the last, I don't know, six months or whatever, but... No, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just a name that just... I'm just amazed that no band has been called Public Practice before now. Also, it's not totally clear. Did Vince McClelland go to our high school? Very possible. (laughs) That's a classic Delco name. Uh, so we should talk a little bit about the other music that was released this week. There's a couple tracks from bands we chose singles from in the past. The uh, full albums from Retirement Party, as well as Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down, uh, both came out this weekend, which were great. There was uh, one emo album and one like folky album that I liked. I'm Glad It's You is the name of the band. They put out a record called Every Sun, Every Moon, which is great. And also uh, Jess Williamson released a record called Sorceress, which is like Western flavored and very fun. There's a, a very good indie rock album from Maita, that's M-A-I-T-A, called Best Wishes. There's a lot of good stuff on that. Uh, almost picked a lot of that stuff. There's a new single from Keaton Henson, which is wild, because the last time Keaton Henson released a like singer-songwriter track and not like an instrumental like chamber music track, it was a song entitled Epilogue, which was basically like, I'm quitting music because of my sadness. But I guess, f- forget that. I mean, he still has a lot of sadness, but he's back to to singing songs, which is very exciting. I think it is difficult to retire altogether for something, from something that you're good at. He's put out like one or two uh, chamber music albums. And he's also, like, I know he's also, like, a visual artist and stuff, but Epilogue was really, like, the video was, like, six minutes of him sadly riding in a car as if he were going to a funeral. And the lyrics were really just, like, I'm done with this forever. And he, like, doesn't really perform live ever. It's a whole thing. I'm I'm pleasantly, I'm delighted and I'm surprised. I'm surprised and delighted about this new track. Good, good. Um, and then there were two kind of big releases for the week. Bon Jovi. I'm obviously talking about Bon Jovi and Moby, who both released new records. I listened to one of the uh, Moby tracks, and I really didn't like it. Yeah, it's okay. I'm going to take a pass on both of those. Um, Moses Sumney released the second part of his record that he's been releasing really all year called Grey which is a worthy compliment to the first part. Neither one of us picked a song from this, and I think that's that was a good choice because we branched out a lot, but I really think that this album as a whole, as well as each part individually, was just like absolutely one of the most impressive musical products put out. Cer- I mean, certainly in the year 2020. It's it's absolutely incredible. I really, you need to listen to the whole thing. 
as a whole. There's a lot of these um, interspersed little clips of speech from the uh, writer uh, Taye Selassie, and she talks about all sorts of things that the album as a whole, lyrically and musically, struggles with. Questions of identity and multiplicity, gender and gender presentation. It's it's really just an incredible piece of piece of art. Yeah, I think for me, this is a really, really impressive superior follow-up to his first record from a couple years ago, A Romanticism. It just feels so it almost feels more mature and more fleshed out and the ideas are brilliant. And it's just good music also. Like it's great to listen to on top of like all of the themes that come with it. I think I've seen some people struggling with like the Fiona Apple record. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, wow, this is such powerful thematic material and such interesting work that she's doing. But like, I don't enjoy listening to it so much, which I don't personally feel, but I I, like, I love that record. But I, I think I've seen that. I don't think that's true of this Moses Sumney record at all. I don't, I couldn't even imagine that. Right. It's just, so good to listen to and has all of these really interesting pieces and collaboration tied into it it's really just an absolutely incredible i don't i I don't have anything more to say it's just it's wild to me that like i started listening to moses sumney um you know maybe like 2015 2016 when he had just like sort of a, a smattering of eps and i was really impressed with him but the way that his like music seemed to work is that it was just going to be like, you know, he like had a little bit of stuff and he like collaborated with people and he like, you know, like he played in Sufjan's band and stuff like that. I remember thinking at the time being like, Oh wow, this guy's like really cool. And I like his stuff. You know, I wish he like did, did more, but you know, it's, it's whatever. I guess he's just going to like, you know, do little bits, bits of stuff and just sort of exist in the music world. And then he like puts out a romanticism and then, gray and has just like completely cemented himself as just a a, an absolute like visionary artist and speaking of musicians that i think have released a really mature full-fledged record of their vision a perfume genius put out his most recent album called set my heart on fire immediately that i was so close to bringing a track off of um i've been following his work for the last I don't know, half decade also. Um, And it really feels like it came together on this album. It's such a beautiful, coherent whole. And it also deals with questions of gender and sexuality and um, aging. But there's also some moments of pure joy and dance floor music on it that are really cathartic and wonderful. Yeah, I think two of my current top five albums for the year were released this week, which is (laughs) ridiculous. So, while you're listening to all that great music from this week, you should give us a follow on Twitter, at Fresh Pressed Pod. You can listen to the tracks for specifically this week's podcast and all previous weeks on our Spotify playlist, which we have linked in the show notes below. This isn't YouTube. They're not below, but in the show notes. I mean, they're probably below the play button. True. It depends on your podcasting source, I suppose. But once you've figured all that out, you can expect more tunes and more grooves next Tuesday, May 26th. We'll be back. For now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed. <laughs>